0: I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through 5 Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. 5 Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. Chapter 13. I struggled with the ramifications of what Aaron had told me. A mole. In the Mossad. We'd been riding in silence for what seemed like an eternity as we each pondered what that would mean to us and the possibility of rescuing Jessica. Having a mole complicated an already complicated situation. Maybe that's why Jessica instructed me not to trust anyone in her voicemail. Did she know? I asked Aaron... Do you know where we're going? He responded, kind of, vaguely. When we get a little closer, I'll turn on the GPS in my phone. Here, input the address for me, will you? He unlocked the phone and handed it to me. I opened the map app and started typing the address. After just a few keystrokes, the address pre-filled for me. Has Aaron already been to Neria's house? Was that just predictive text? "'I'm totally overthinking this. "'Just chill out. "'Just chill out. "'Aaron's on my side. "'He just kept me from knocking on Kaplan's door. "'That could have been me being slammed down on the sidewalk. "'We followed busy, well-lit roads most of the way, "'but we seemed to be driving slower "'than most of the surrounding traffic. "'It was noisy in the small SUV "'with the wind whipping through the torn window "'and the flapping of the canvas top. "'Hey, Aaron!' I said, almost shouting to get over the noise. Why don't you speed up a little? You're driving like a grandma over there. Put it in gear, man. Frustrated, Aaron shot back. The car is stolen. I don't want to give the authorities any reason to pull us over. Getting to Nuria's house two minutes earlier isn't worth the risk of being detained by local law enforcement. It was an odd way for a guy in the business to talk about the cops, but... Maybe he was just trying to make a point. It had been a long day, I guess, for both of us. "'Oh, uh, my bad. I wasn't thinking about that. Do, Do your thing,' I responded to him. We slowed to a stop at an intersection where there wasn't any traffic. "'No. I'm sorry, Matt,' Aaron said in the suddenly quiet SUV. "'It's been a stressful couple of days, and it seems like all I have done is screw up.' I lost the person I was supposed to protect, your friend, Jessica. I lost members of my team in the ambush at the airport. Those were good people, good operatives. But not only that, they were my friends. Then I lost you and really only found you because you stumbled right over me. I've been suspended and there's a good possibility they think I'm the mole. There's something else to add on top of all of that, too. Up until today, I felt like I was living up to my father's legacy. He died for what he believed in and for the right and just cause. Over the course of these 24 hours, I feel like I've just let him down, let his legacy down over and over and over again. I'm just tired. I didn't know how to respond to that, so I just sat there quietly. I felt a tinge of sadness for Aaron, imagining how hard it must be to live in someone's shadow like that. I wondered if there were people he worked with who still remembered his dad, people who had worked with him, or did Aaron work with people who had been on the same mission when his father died? It must have been a heavy weight to deal with. I always tried to live up to my father's expectations, but it was different than what Aaron was dealing with. I knew my dad loved me and was proud of me. He might not have seen the man I have become, but he knew the path I was walking, and he knew the direction my life was moving. Aaron was never able to show his father any of that. He was living in a dead man's shadow, and I could tell it was difficult. As we sat there in silence, I again began to notice my surroundings, the beauty of this holy land. Even in the darkness of the evening, Israel was beautiful. I tried to get a bearing on where we were and where we were going. I tried to soak it all in, each road, each building, each landmark. It helped keep my mind from wandering down paths I didn't want to take. After what felt like an extended period of awkward silence— we came to a suburban area. Neighborhoods nestled gently away from the hustle and bustle of the city. Aaron said, Fire up the GPS. We're pretty close. It took the phone and GPS map application a few moments to pinpoint where we were located and plot a course to our destination. Finally, a little map with a highlighted route displayed on the screen. Everything, including the directions was written in a different language, so I couldn't understand it, but the route was short, so I knew we were close. The phone spoke the directions in the same foreign language, and on command, Aaron made the turns. Seven minutes later, we pulled up to the front of a quaint yet beautiful one-story house. It had a covered front porch made entirely out of stacked rocks, and the outside light was on. From where we were sitting in the car, the front door looked closed, but the house seemed alive with activity, the exact opposite of how Dr. Kaplan's house had appeared earlier. My mouth was beginning to water, thinking about Neria's cooking. I hadn't eaten since breakfast before we made our landing this morning. Aaron parked the stolen SUV on the street, a little farther down from Neria's house. I said, let me go first and tell her what's going on. Tell her about you. I don't want to startle or scare her or anything. Aaron nodded his agreement. Go for it. On your way. I was walking quickly, light spirited, for the first time since I left Jessica's lab toward the welcoming home. Up the sidewalk, onto the porch, I was almost whistling to myself. I stepped up to knock on the door, and that's when I noticed it. The door was open. Only a fraction but enough to notice as I got close. I was instantly quiet, motionless. I listened hard, trying to detect any life from inside the house. Peering closer at the doorframe, I could tell entry had been forced. In a flash, I could tell what happened. The mercenaries rang the doorbell. Nerea thought it was me and came to answer it. When she asked, who is it, through the wooden door, They forced their way in, hastily trying to close the door behind them. I frantically waved Aaron over to where I was standing and showed him what I was looking at. He put two and two together. From behind his back, he pulled out a pistol that had been concealed in his belt and slowly pushed the door open. Slowly, he stepped into the doorway, and I was right on his heels. The house was warm and inviting. Food smells filled our nostrils, but there was an unnatural silence in the house. It felt empty. Aaron and I started clearing the house room by room, making sure it was empty. We entered into a living room space with a couch, chair, and television. The chair was on its side. That room shared space with a kitchen being divided by a half wall with a countertop sitting on it. The kitchen contained a door that led toward what looked like a hallway. We cautiously stepped into the kitchen and saw Neria lying there, bleeding. She had been beaten. From where I was standing, I couldn't tell if she was unconscious or dead, but nothing was going to stop me from finding out. I peeled around Aaron to check on her, getting down on my knees to check for a pulse. Aaron leaned down and whispered, "'I'm going to clear the rest of the house. "'If it's empty, I'm going outside to check the perimeter. "'It looks like these guys were just here. "'If she's alive, find out what she told them.' "'And off he went. "'Neria had a pulse, but her breathing was ragged. "'I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to do. "'Think, Matt, think.' "'I tried to catch Aaron, doing a whispered shout, "'but he was already gone.' I took Nuria's hand in mine, and her eyes popped open. It startled me, and I just about jumped out of my skin. She looked at me and said, "'Matt! Oh my God, Matt! Oh my God!' and started crying. I whispered, "'It's okay, Nuria. We're here.' In a split second, the first three words Jessica ever spoke to me sprang to life, and I whispered, "'You're not alone!' I added, "'We'll get you some help. You're going to be okay. Where are you hurt?' She coughed a few times, congested, liquid-filled coughs, and said in between more fits of coughing, Kaplan called me. He got our message. More coughs. He's trying to find you. Coughs. He's with Massad. You have Jessica's keys now. More coughs. Go to Moho Magnetic Machines. Moho Magnetic Machines. I had a million questions at that moment, but immediately my thought went to Jessica's phone. I had forgotten that I still had it. I slammed my hand into my pocket. There was other stuff in my pockets, but her phone was still there. Was her phone the key? Had she stored the information there? Where was Aaron? Nuria looked as if she was going to slip back into unconsciousness, so I whispered to her, "'Stay with me, Nuria. You're going to be okay. We're going to get you help.' She started a fit of coughing and her eyes widened, filled with panic, with terror. Blood shot out of her mouth, spraying liquid, covering her chest and stomach, down to her waist. She started choking on her own blood. I rolled her over on her side, but it didn't help. She looked up at me, scared, and whispered through choking sounds. Don't. Trust. Omar. She made a few more gurgling sounds and then lost consciousness again. Her body began to convulse, thrashing violently on the kitchen floor. I tried to help, but I didn't know what to do. After several moments of this, she got very still. I saw her body go limp, totally relaxed, and I sensed it as her bowels released. I sat there in stunned silence. Nuria was dead. I had never been with someone when they died. I didn't know what to do and the feeling made me queasy. I inched slowly away from her body, scooting backwards across the floor. Her last words had been, don't trust Omar. What did she mean by that and where was... It took me about that long to put it together. Omar was Aaron. Aaron was Omar. And Neria's last dying breath had been to warn me about him. But Aaron had been with me for the past couple of hours. He's been helping me this whole time, since Jessica was kidnapped. He couldn't have done this. Who did it and where is Aaron now? I stood up, deciding to do something rather than waiting on whatever it was to come at me. I walked through the kitchen and into the hallway, pausing to listen. It was quiet. If Aaron was in the house, he was hiding. I searched each of the rooms but didn't see him anywhere. What did he say? He was going to search the house and then check the perimeter. He must have gone outside. Can I trust him? I opened the back door and stepped silently into the yard. Someone close in the neighborhood was grilling. I could smell their food and hear their laughter. I slowly, delicately stepped further into the yard, away from the door, in an attempt to locate Aaron. The yard was small and outlined with trees, but I could tell it was a well-cared-for space. There were flowers in pots and flowers in gardens placed strategically around the yard. Nuria had left some of her yard work equipment on the stone patio. It was apparent that no one was in her backyard. I knew I didn't have a weapon of any sort, so I picked up one of Nuria's gardening shovels and carried it like a baseball bat, gripped with both hands. To the right of Nuria's house there was a neighboring home, very close, forming a narrow corridor between the two houses. It was only large enough for two people walking shoulder to shoulder to fit, but there was an air conditioning unit, so at one point, both people would have to walk single file if they were going to use the corridor to get to the front of the house. On the other side of Neria's house, the left side, there was an expanse, an unfinished lot that looked like a jungle in the moonlight. I decided that I would check the corridor, using it to walk around the house toward the front yard. From the front yard, I would then make my way to that jungle looking area. After quickly getting through the narrow and poorly lit corridor, I slowly and cautiously rounded the corner toward the front yard. It was evident that Neria had been working in her yard this afternoon, as there was a rake and several small piles of leaves scattered around the side of her front lawn. Standing there in the darkness, I was reminded of a prayer King David had prayed some 3,000 years ago. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. God was speaking to me by reminding me of the words in the Bible. I whispered a quiet prayer. Teach me the ways of this war, Lord. Teach me how to fight this battle. Help me, Father, in Jesus' name. A flash of comfort washed over me, and another Bible verse came to mind. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way, and an idea sparked in my head. I had the shovel in my hand, but I leaned it against the house and picked up Neria's rake. I quietly made my way back down the corridor, placed the rake across the alleyway, I was able to wedge the rake between the air conditioning unit and some stones of the adjacent house so that it created a knee-high or maybe thigh-high hurdle, almost invisible in the dark of the evening. I tested it, and it looked like it would hold. I again traveled down the corridor to the front of the house and rounded the corner, scanning, looking, and listening for Aaron. The front yard was empty as well. Finally, it was time to check that vacant lot neighboring Nuria's house. I made my way, seemingly tiptoeing toward the unkempt lot. Easing into the woods, I took my time, careful to be as quiet as possible. That's when I heard it. Whispered voices. Angry voices. They were close, awfully close, only a few feet away. I tried, but I couldn't understand them. It was in another language. I did, however, recognize one of the voices. It was Aaron. I froze where I stood. What do I do now? Who is he talking with? A neighbor? No, he wouldn't be talking to a neighbor in this mess of woods. Is he on the phone? He wouldn't be whispering. No, someone is with him. Someone is responding. Then, in a twist I never saw coming, the loudest, quiet noise ever sounded in my pocket. Bzz, 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 Jessica's phone began to vibrate. It was the low battery indicator, like earlier in the day. I had charged the phone while I was sitting in the conference room with Nuria at Jessica's lab, but that was hours ago. The timing was right for the battery to die, but the timing couldn't be worse for me. End of chapter 13. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase 5 Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released. And if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.